grace, mercy, and peace to you through our Redeemer, Lord Jesus, friends. Amen. The whole family was climbing back into the van. Big family, seven kids, big van, one of those Ford passenger vans. Uh, They had been playing at the park, enjoying the last days of summer before school started. They'd brought snacks, sandwiches, balls, and bats, and scooters, but it's time to head out now. The sun is going down, the sandwiches are all eaten. So little bodies start clambering into the van. Dad's in the back, ready to help the little ones buckle. Mom counts as they climb up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Mom and Dad hop out and look around. Janie, their little one, isn't here. What happens next? Do they shrug, say, well, eh, six out of seven ain't bad? No, you know what happens. Mom stayed at the van. Dad went to look for her. And it didn't take long, but to Janie, it felt like a long time that she was alone. She'd gone off by herself away from the playground toward another lot as it got darker, and now she was off alone in an empty parking lot and in the dark when Dad found her. He knelt down. He wiped her sniffly nose and held her tight. He put her on his shoulders. He went back to the van, thanking God because his, his little lost one was found. Another story. There's something called Eschet. E-S-C-H-E-A-T. Maybe some of you have heard of this. It's also often called the Office of Unclaimed Property. If money in a bank account appears to have been forgotten for a period of some years, at least three years in New York, then state governments can collect it, track it in a database, and will give it back when the owner comes looking for it. You can check this database yourself at home. Google the name of a state where you've lived and unclaimed property. Anyways, here's the story. Now this story, unlike that first one I told, really happened. I was searching all the states I've lived in. Texas, Florida, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Virginia, New York. And I found $39 in Wisconsin. Not mine, though. It was a utility refund my mom had never received. Some money. Forgotten. Now found. People have found much larger amounts than that through the unclaimed property office. Sometimes people find that they didn't cash their last paycheck from an early job or or a tax refund wasn't delivered. Sometimes grandparents bought stock for a newborn and forgot it for 20 years. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars. And we share those kinds of stories with friends, with family, with the person on the train next to us, right? Because we can't keep our excitement in. Just like that woman in Jesus' second story who was bursting with joy because 10% of her retirement portfolio had rolled under the couch She'd found it again. Why do we love these kind of stories? Saving Private Ryan, Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, Toy Story, Lost in Space, The Lost World, Lost. These stories about lost things, they have a pull, right? A gravity that attracts us to them because they appeal to something human beings find irresistible. We love to find something valuable where no one else has looked. We love finding lost things. Jesus uses this, this human truth, not only in these two parables, but in others. He tells another story. A man digging in a field, clunk, finds a treasure chest in the ground. He tells another story after these two parables in Luke 15, and this next one we know pretty well. It's the lost son, the prodigal, who returns home to his loving father. The Bible recounts more stories of people lost and found. Joseph, our Old Testament reading, lost to his family but never by God. People love that story, right? Because there's so much hope and comfort in it. When we see the ending, 
And Joseph says explicitly what we saw unfolding all along. It was not you, my brothers, who sent me here, but God. God at work behind it all. God protecting Joseph and guiding events in his life. God working repentant sorrow in the hearts of his brothers over those 22 years since they'd faked his murder. A lost son found. A family made whole. It's a beautiful, familiar story. Maybe the second reading story this morning is less familiar. Are we all acquainted with this story behind this selection? We read this morning from 2 Corinthians. The background to this selection comes in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. So there was a member of the church in Corinth, a man there, who was engaged in an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And this was public knowledge for the congregation. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives the congregation guidance on how to deal with the man. They needed to call him to repentance. And they did so. The church, the assembled body of believers, made clear to this man his sin and his need to turn from it. And it worked. It's incredible. It worked. God's powerful word, which the prophet Jeremiah tells us is like a hammer breaking rocks to pieces, led this man to repent and turn from his sin. So then we get today's selection from 2 Corinthians. Paul tells the congregation, now forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Just as you publicly confronted him with his sin, Corinthians, now publicly demonstrate that he is forgiven. Love him. Rejoice, because another lost son has been found. Another family has been made whole. It's easy to root for Joseph, right? Yes, when the story begins, he's an arrogant 17-year-old, but we see him suffer so much innocently during his story. We see him grow. We see him testifying to his faith down in Egypt, even when he knows he's not going to benefit from doing so. So it's easy to root for Joseph. It's easy to cheer when at the end of the story that lost son is found and the family's brought back together. But the man in Corinth makes us a little uneasy. Is that someone I'd want to sit next to on Sunday? Is that someone who should represent my church? Vote at my church? Commune with me at my church? Is it easy for us to worship with someone we consider a sinner? This cuts two ways. Is it easy for us to sit with someone whom we know struggles with a sin that we personally find repulsive? On the other hand, is it easy for us to sit with someone whom we personally find judgmental and unloving? Jesus tells these parables because he's being challenged on his stance towards sin. He's eating with sinners. Not as they are actively sinning, but before they've clearly and publicly turned away from their sin. And it does not sit well with the Pharisees, because you see earlier in Luke chapter 14, Jesus was eating with them. Now this is something that we miss in Jesus' ministry sometimes. The Pharisees were fascinated by him. He taught the word of God clearly and with authority. He preached the law. His Sermon on the Mount featured stronger and clearer calls to holy living than even the rabbis would offer. Jesus preached the law. He preached turning from sin, and the Pharisees were captivated by that, but they were angered and disgusted when he then went and sat with sinners. It looked like hypocrisy to them. How can you believe that these people are still sinning and want to sit with them? Are you being disingenuous with us or with them, Jesus? Because you must be lying to someone here. Either you don't really think these people are sinners, or you don't think sin is as serious as you've been saying. Jesus loved those Pharisees too. He sat at their tables. 
He shared law and gospel with them. He had come to save them also. They were lost sheep. They were just as lost as the sinners they reviled. Their sins looked different, but they were no nearer to God for that. They needed a shepherd to search them out. And 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet told us that this was exactly what he would do. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every one of us was a sheep lost in the dark until we were found by our shepherd. For some that came early, maybe you were a few days old as the shepherd washed you to bring you into his flock. Now for others, his voice was heard later, but it was no less sweet for that. Jesus' call to the sinners eating with him was the same as his call to the Pharisees hosting him for dinner. Repent and believe the good news. Your God loves you. He has sent a Savior. And the gospel which Jesus proclaimed to both of these groups did its work. Pharisees and sinners followed Jesus when He died. Nicodemus the Pharisee took Jesus' body off the cross to bury his Lord. When Jesus rose, the first person to whom he appeared was Mary Magdalene, a formerly demon-possessed peasant woman. These two were members of his core group, right? that little group of probably less than 100 people who still believed everything he'd been saying when he went to his cross. Jesus' church, the Christian church, which is found in all the world wherever his gospel is proclaimed, It has room for Pharisees and sinners. Why? Because we, Christians, Jesus' people, love finding lost things. We love what our Savior loves. He loves to find value where no one else sees it. He finds value in the self-righteous and the self-condemned. He didn't tell us that the woman went to find her coin because it was the shiny and newest of the ten. She went to find it because it was valuable to her. She would have gone after any of them. That's what our God does, Jesus tells us. He loves to find lost things. And we are the ones he uses to do that. We, Christians, are the lamp God lights and the broom he grabs to find his lost coin. We, Christians, whether we were Pharisees or sinners, are the shepherds whom God, the owner, sends out to find his lost sheep and bring them back to the flock. And yeah, this is the privilege of every Christian. What I'm saying is true of every Christian. But we in particular, as a home mission church, uh, We have a special excitement for this work, right? This is our special focus as a mission congregation. What Jesus is talking about here, this work that brings joy to heaven's throne room, this is the lifeblood of our group. We live on something that brings God joy. We love finding lost things because our God loves finding lost things. This is an exciting time of the year for us as we do exactly that. We've got Apple Fest coming up and an opportunity for us to meet people to share a little gift with them, to show them in a little door-opening way the seeking kindness of our God. We've got some regional festivals coming up, more opportunities to do the same. But beyond those seasonal special opportunities, brothers and sisters, see that each and every day is a day when our God is seeking out his lost treasures through you. See the parent next to you in the school drop-off line the coworker at the next station, the sibling who's a phone call away, see them as someone precious to God, someone he loves, someone his son came to save and now seeks out through you. And by the Spirit of God given in baptism, you have the mind of Christ. You see them as valuable, as important, as worthy of love. Show them love. Have them at your table. Be in their lives. Let them into yours. And in that, just as it was for your Savior, in that day-to-day relational love 
is your opportunity to bring another lost sheep into the fold. Amen.